If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 John chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. May we pray. Father, bless thy word to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit apply it to each one of us as we read the word of God and preach the word of God this morning. Pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a great section here. There are so many beautiful thoughts here. Just a couple of thoughts in reading the text. My little children, let us not love. The word love there is in the present tense. And he's saying we're not to love in word and deed or in tongue. Word and tongue. God doesn't want lip service but in deed and in truth. And he goes on and says, and we know, the word know is genosco, present tense, to know by experience that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. The word assure is to persuade our hearts before him. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep, present tense, we are keeping his commandments. The child of God's habitual habit is obeying God not disobeying God. As we have been studying through the book of 1 John, we see two two different examples. We see the, the, the example of Christ, and we see the example of Cain. You know, in the early church, they were called the way of the, of the way. They were known as the way. And they were identified as Christians first in Antioch. Christ-like. The way of Cain, out of the wicked one, Satan. The way of Cain was a way of hatred, murder, envy, and lies. And that's the way of the world. Look at the world today. It's filled with hatred, murder, envy, lies, ungodliness, wickedness. To follow Cain is to walk in darkness. Hatred, envy, murder, evil. And era, the way of the flesh or the way of the world. Satan, that's the, he's the kingdom of this world. That's the world that God says love, not the world. That's the world God says not to love. The world of wickedness and ungodliness. That's one example we see as we've been going through First John. The other one is the way of Christ. The way of Christ. The Son of God. The way of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the way of love. He's the way of light. Without him we have no light. And holiness. 
We are to follow his steps. Jesus said in John 14, 6, as I said just a moment, I am the way. There's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. The truth. There is no truth outside of Jesus Christ. Once he speaks, that's final. It's absolute. And the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's an absolute truth. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. First John 2, 6, we read earlier in our study, He that saith he abideth in him, talking about Christ, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. We're to walk like Christ. We're to follow Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Dave can say, follow me as I follow Christ. So can Roger. So can I. Follow us as long as we follow Christ. Peter made this statement in 221, First Peter. For even hitherto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. You say, who can I follow? Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. You can follow me and be disappointed. You could follow David and be disappointed. You could follow Roger. Now, as long as we're following Christ, you won't be disappointed. But the main thing is, Christ is the one we're to follow. Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're to look to Jesus. You have a need this morning? You look to Jesus Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Now, First John 3, 18, uh, uh, Says, as my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed in truth. My little children speaking as a father to his family. John had that fatherly touch with the people he was teaching and preaching to. When it says, let us not, the word not there is a negative in the Greek. It's me, me. It's, It's prohibitive. He says, stop, stop loving just in tongue, just in words. Stop doing that. Now, stop it. And love, he goes on to say, present sense, but love in word and in truth. In James, it says, in James 2, 15 and 16, but in deed and in truth, for true love is a laborious and an operative grace. Since we read of the work and labor of love, it shows itself by the saints serving one another, praying one for another, that's serving one another. He says in Hebrews 16, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. We have a labor of love in the church. You say, what can I do? God says, owe no man anything when it comes to love. We're to love one another. Labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. You know, in Matthew 25, he speaks to those that on there, he says, you did, I was hungry and you fed me not. I was thirsty and you didn't give me no water and you no food. They said, Lord, when did we see you? And when did we see you that way? When you did it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now we have to remember that in our, in our service to each other. When you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We minister. Everyone has a ministry in this church. Not just Dave, Roger, and myself. Each of you have a calling of God to minister to the saints in the congregation. You have a a calling to minister to the saints that you know outside this congregation. 
maybe saints that you know in other congregations, in other areas, in other states, and you can minister to their needs. Every day we should say, Lord, who can I minister to today? Who can I be a blessing to today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I lift up today? We need to be constantly thinking, esteeming others better than yourself. Beloved, we each one of us can do more when it comes to ministering to the saints in our personal lives. James gives us an example in James 2.15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? See, words don't profit. I can say, Dave, you be ye warmed and filled. I know you have a need, but I don't offer to help that need. So what good is my words? They're sounding brass and tickling cymbal. They don't mean anything. That's what God is saying. Don't love in tongue like that. Don't just, don't just say things, do things. He says, but indeed, lip service, neither in tongue. Essentially, love is neither sentiment nor talk, but deeds. Lip service only. And I'm afraid too many of us at times practice lip service only. Oh, I'm going to do so and so tomorrow. I'm going to encourage somebody. Tomorrow comes around, we don't do it. We forget. We get busy. And we have good intentions, and we all do. But this comes up, and that comes up, and this comes up, and, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Isn't it always tomorrow and tomorrow? Oh, I'll read the scriptures, but I'm so, I'm exhausted right now. I'll, I'll start tomorrow. I'll read some tomorrow. One saying says, never put off tomorrow what you can do today. And that's a good practice, to good practice. So let us not love in lip service. But indeed, instead of talking about it, do what you know is, you know you ought to be done. Let us love with a genuine deeds. Love is action word. It's an action word. If someone says, I love you, but they never do anything for you, pretty soon you're going to put a question mark over that love. Honey, would you do this? Oh, I'd do it, but they don't do it. Would you do this? Yes, but they don't do it. All of a sudden you're going to say, hmm. <laughs> you're going to start questioning that person's love. But when a person does things for you, and they do it with a willing mind and a cheerful heart, you know that individual loves you. And that's how we're going to, we're to serve one another, cheerfully, willingly. But indeed, indeed, it should be seen. Deeds can be seen when you do something for somebody. It can be seen. Oh, that was a good deed you did to that person. You brought them a, 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 a bag of groceries and you took it to them. That was a wonderful display of love to that individual. Now, there's times that God may burden your heart to do that. And there's not many today among the congregations that we serve that had needs like that, but it could happen occasionally. We should be willing to go and meet the need of that individual. If we as a congregation know there's someone in our congregation in need of food, what should we do? We shouldn't just say, well, we should do something about it. That's talk. We should go buy groceries and take it to them. That's the deed that we should be doing. Instead of talking about it, do what you know you ought to be done. Let us love with genuine deeds. 
Are we loving that way? Are we loving that way? Each other. And in truth. Truth is the center of everything, the core, the very center of the heart. If our love is not to be genuine, is to be genuine in truth, it will be positive and seen with action. Love that has no action is not love. I can get that across this good morning. Love that has no action is not love. Love is a verb. It's an action word. It has to be seen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. How do you know He loved it? He gave. It's an action. He gave His Son, what? To die as our substitute. How do we know our mothers love us when, they, when we were growing up? Because He prepared our food for us on the table. They washed our clothes. They trained us. They disciplined us. Sometimes with a belt and sometimes in love. But they knew how to discipline us. That's how we knew they loved us because their deeds showed their love. And children today that are not being disciplined, as far as I'm concerned, are not truly being loved by their parents. We are to discipline our children and teach them the right way from the wrong way. This is God's command. Bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need to pray for our young parents today. They've been bewildered by the philosophy of this world. Oh, time out, time out, time out. Yeah, my mother gave me a time out when she got her shoe or got her belt. That was time out. <laughs> and I knew what she meant. She just looked at me and I sat down. <laughs> she didn't have to say nothing else. And some of you know what I'm talking about. God bless our dear mothers and fathers who are gone to glory. They, they may be far from us, but they're never out of our hearts. Oh, beloved. Here's a case where action speaks louder than words. Neither in tongue, lip service, but in deeds in truth. Little children, not love with word or with tongue. That's that negative me. Don't be loving just in tongue, in lip service, but in deed in truth. Let us examine our love and say, do we measure up? Am I loving just lip service? Or am I loving in deed and in truth? And young people who have parents, you need to be obeying your parents. And some of you may have moved out of home. You're not at home anymore. But still, you should always honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. That's God's blessings. The assurance from the practice of love, verses 19 through 24. The practice of Christian love also has a beneficial impact on the one who loves. In these verses, John sets forth different aspects of the assurance that will arise in the heart of the believer from his practice of love. It is a fruit of the Spirit. The practice of love will produce inner assurance being in the truth. Giving confidence that prayer will be answered, verses 21 through 22. And assure the believer of his intimate union with Christ, verses 23 through 24. Assurance of salvation. Love is the key. Love is the key to Christianity. 
You take love out, you have nothing. Paul says he's just like a trembling brass, you're nothing. Prophets, you're nothing. Verse 19, he says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. That word assure means to persuade our hearts before him. It's assurance we have. Now remember, if we look back in a Christian life, as we look back in First John, we're either following Cain, and that will bring condemnation. Our conscience will condemn us. Or we're following Christ, which gives us that assurance of our salvation and the assurance that we're doing the will of God in truth. And hereby we know, the word know is genosco, to know by experience, is in a present tense, points to an acquired knowledge based on our experience. We learn by experience as Christians. That we are of the truth. How do we know we are of the truth? Because we love one another, Brother David. You mentioned we should pray one for another. And what's the praying for one another? That's a sign of loving one another. Remember in the beginning it says you're to believe. And we're going to see believe and love go together. You can't separate. If you're a believer, loving goes with it. God commands us not only to believe on his son's name, but to love one another. They're both a command. To acquire knowledge by our experience that we are of the truth. By loving indeed and according to truth, we will come to know by experience that we are, that we are sourced in the same truth. That truth is leading us to love and to love the saints and to pray for the saints and meet the needs of the saints. We are a body of Christ, particular body of Christ. It's important that we realize the importance of a local congregation of saints. We are members one of another, united together for one purpose, to serve Christ till He comes. We come here Sunday morning that we might congregate and assemble and be a congregation before the Lord to sing hymns and praises to the Lord, to offer up prayers to the Lord, and then by the preaching of the Word that we may be edified by the preaching of the Word of God, built up in the faith. And we all are depending upon the Holy Spirit. I've come more and more conclusion in my ministry and reading that we need the Holy Spirit in our congregations to open up our hearts, to open up the preacher's minds and thoughts that they may preach the Word. This is God's Word I'm preaching, not my words. The Word of God. Paul mentioned it over and over. The words of God. This is not the words of man, but the words of God. God-inspired words. How fortunate and blessed we are to have a translation of the Word of God that we can read daily. And yet many Christians don't even read it. It's a shame. It's a shame and it's, it, it, really it's a, uh, it's a part of your weakness as a believer. If you're not reading the Word, that's why you're not growing in, in, in spiritual things. You must read the Word of God to grow. Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So if you don't read the Word of God, how are you going to grow, Brother Dave? You're not, spiritually. Now there's no doubt that I'm eating. You can see the results. I'm growing, maybe the wrong way. <laughs> but spiritually, we need the same desire for God's Word. Lord, give me a desire and hunger for the things of God, for the Word of God. 
That I might grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. That I might know Him more and more. Isn't that your desire and my desire to know the Lord more and more? To have greater understanding of the Lord, greater understanding of God's attributes, greater understanding of God's holiness and righteousness, knowing that we can call God Father. What a blessing that is, Father. We worship a deity, which is God, and in Greek is Theos, but God has come down and said, you don't have to call me God, you can call me Father. Oh, hallelujah. What a blessing that is. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, God the Father. To love God and who them who have been called according to His purpose. Whose purpose? The Father's purpose. Your life is under His control. Now, if He removes the strains and allows you to go into sin, God is teaching you a lesson that you'll never forget. It can be a hard lesson. And all of us through our lives as Christians have been, have went down that path. And then when God gets through chastising us, we come back and we rejoice from the lessons we learned through that experience. It's out of the truth. Denoting the truth of God is revealed in Christ and His gospel. The phrase out of the truth occurs in the, in John's gospel. It's written only in, in John 18.37 and 1 John 2.21 21 and 18.37. It says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this end came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth or act out of the truth heareth my voice. What did he say? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. What is Jesus called? I am the way and the truth. We're out of the truth. Because we're out of the truth, we hear His voice. And the evidence of that, we follow Him. We're present tense following Him. Oh, beloved, what a blessing it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. To follow Him. I'm not written unto you because you know not the truth. But because you know it. You say, how do I know the truth? Jesus is the truth. If you know the Lord, you know the truth. And you read the Word of God, you will be taught the truth by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. And that no lie is of the truth. The truth is what separates error from light, or darkness from light. It's truth. When you know the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Darkness, error, false way and show you the way of righteousness and the way of holiness. So that is by our loving others in truth that we know that we are of the truth. See, the key is loving. As we love each other and as we show deeds and kindness to each other, it's showing that we are the truth and that we're in the truth. And that we're in the way because we're in Christ. And shall assure our hearts before Him. The word assure means to persuade our hearts. In the Greek usage of the word heart was thought, was thought as of the center and source of the whole inner life. The heart is the source and center of the whole inner life with its thinking, 
feelings, and volition. Now, when he speaks of the heart, it's not talking about this heart that pumps blood. That's a physical heart. God's talking about your innermost being, the center. Heart means the center of our life. The heart is the center. It's life. It pumps the blood. In the spiritual sense, it's the center of our thinking, our feeling, our thinking, and our volition, our decisions that we make. We can assure ourselves before Him. What a blessing that is, beloved. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. If we're not following the Lord and obeying the Lord, the word heart in this sense could be could be considered conscience. If your conscience, it's your conscience that condemns you, as we're going to see. It is generally agreed that he here implies it under the term heart, for it is the conscience that assures and condemns us. Romans twelve, Romans two fourteen and fifteen says. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness that their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. God has put a conscience in every man, and it will uh, it will accuse him when he does wrong. Hebrews 10.2 says, For then... For then would they not have ceased to be offered because for the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. Acts twenty four sixteen, Paul says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. He says, I'm trying to live as close to God as I can toward God and toward my fellow man. As far as I know, I haven't offended anyone. And that's what, and that's why Paul was trying to live a life and his conscience was not accusing him. In 1 Timothy brings out a thought too. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfinite. Holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Shipwrecked. Some have their conscience because of depravity and because of rebellion against God. They're, it said they've seared their conscience with a hot iron. They have no conscience anymore. They can do sin and not even feel guilty about it. That's how deep in sin people are getting today. They have no consciousness. They have no concern, no, no thought of God, no respect for human life. So what? I kill somebody. No different shooting a dog. That's the way some people think today. They have no respect for human life. We're created in the image of God, but they don't see that anymore because they don't even believe in a God anymore. Atheistical, logical thinking remove God out of their knowledge. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. God is greater than our heart. The writer is, is reassuring the readers that when they are doing deeds of love, they can know that they are the truth. And even in their oversensitive conscience condemns them, they can comfort their hearts with the realization that God knows everything and He's always there to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, the conscience sometimes can be overcritical and we, and it can be condemning us when we're not to be condemned, but if we confess our sins, 
God cleanses the slate. And we can say hallelujah. Satan comes to you and accuses you. Say, Satan, that's under the blood. It's no longer, no longer to be brought up against me. I've been judicially justified from that sin. Clear, not guilty before God. It was imputed to my Lord when He died on the cross. He died for my sin. What a blessing that is when we think about that Jesus loved us so much that He bore in His body our sins. Think about your wretched and my wretched ungodly sins that the Lord died for. It's humbling, isn't it? To think that He loved us so much. That God is greater than thy conscience and knows everything about the matter and still forgives them. What a loving God we have. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, even piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He knows the heart and thoughts of everyone in this congregation. You can't hide anything from God. He's omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every thought before we think it. He knows every sin before we commit it. And yet he still loves us. He looked beyond my fault and saw my knees, as the psalm says. That's a, that's, that's a beautiful thought to think. In verse three, chapter three, verse 21, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. We are following Christ's example in loving one another. We have confidence toward God. See, loving God and loving one another gives us confidence in God. Paul says over there in the book of Hebrews that we may come boldly unto the throne of grace. Boldly through the blood. Come boldly with confidence before God. Not in ourselves, but in the blood. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And we can have confidence in God. Because we have an advocate with the Father. We have a mediator with the Father. We have the Holy Spirit comforter who indwells us. And we have the Father who loves us with an everlasting love. Notice what he says in first uh, chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That is, if we asked anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now, that always has to be qualified. If we ask anything according to his will, not my will, not your will. You know, sometimes... God in His goodness hinders some of our prayers because He knows it would hurt us. He answers it in a different way. But when we pray, you read the Word of God, and God says, we're to pray for our daily food. And you pray for your daily food, you're praying according to His will. God will provide your daily need. Thank God for that. God's God answering prayer. He answers prayer. One of the greatest subjects in the Word of God and one of the most mysterious is prayer. I don't understand it, but I believe it. God said to ask, and James over there says, you have not because you ask not. A lot of times we don't have because we don't ask. And then he says, when you ask, don't waver like the wave of the sea. 
Well, maybe he will answer it. Maybe he won't answer it. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. <laughs> you know, he says, don't let that person think you're going to receive anything of the Lord when you're bouncing back and forth in unbelief. To him that believeth and has confidence in God and praying according to the will of God, it'll be answered. Now, some things that we don't know, the absolute answer, we always pray, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. Christ prayed that way. And we're to follow his example. In verse 322 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, we're following Him, we're loving Him, we're loving one another, we believed on His Son, love is being demonstrated, we're abiding in Him, and to do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You take your children. When our children are pleasing us, they can ask for cookies, and you oh yeah, here's a cookie, son, here's a cookie, daughter. I mean, but when they're not, when they're rebellion and being mean, we'll use that word, Disobedient, you might think maybe you'll get a cookie later when you behave, <laughs> you know. And, and when we're obeying the Lord and pleasing the Lord, He gives us those things to show our blessing to us. And when He chastises us, you know, He chastises every son whom He loveth. Sometimes He withholds some of the blessings from us to chastise us. Now, that's how we do at times. We hold things from our children when, when we're training them to teach them that obeying your parents has blessings. And disobeying your parents brings something else. <laughs> and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Isn't it a pleasure? You know, I, I'm sure some of us that are here wouldn't it be na- nice if we could go back and see mother and dad and do things that please them one more time? Now, we have a heavenly father who is eternal, who's always with us, who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake thee. Shouldn't we be willing to do those things that please the father? See, that's better than doing things because you have to do it. It's because you want to please your Father that you obey Him, that you follow the Lord, that you obey His commandments, that you believe His promises, because you want to do the things that please the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Honor God. Then living the Christian life is not so difficult. It becomes a pleasure. Because remember, it's God that worketh in you both the will and the do of His good pleasure. Ask. Asked. To ask for is in the present tense. Continue asking. Continue be asking. Whatsoever we keep on asking for, speaking of repeatedly and continuous praying day after day, God will answer that. You know the one, the thought of the widow who came to the judge and asked the judge for something and he wouldn't give it to her because she kept coming back and coming back and he said, listen, this woman's going to drive me crazy. He gave her what she needed. 
The Lord was teaching us example. If you're sincere about something, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Don't just come one time and walk away and forget about it. And we'll see that in a moment. Jesus said in John 14, 14, If you ask anything in my name, I would do it. But there's 15, 7 qualifies that. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you should ask what you will, and it should be done unto you. If God, if you're abiding in Christ and His words abiding in you, you're going to ask only the things that please the Lord. You're going to pray according to the will of God, to the Word of God. You want to know how to pray? Read the Word of God. You want to see how to pray? Read the Psalms. See how the saints in the Old Testament prayed. That's a great book of anything. Psalms teaches you the, the feelings and the emotions and the needs of God's people and how they prayed to God in the book of the Psalms. Brother Roger, I know he loves to preach out of the Psalms. And this is the verse I mentioned earlier, Luke eleven nine, And I say unto you, ask, present tense, keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Seek, keep on seeking, keep on seeking, just keep continually, progressive seeking, and you shall find. Knock, present tense, keep on knocking, keep on knocking, and it shall be opened unto you. Who said that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And did He ever lie? No. So what's wrong? It's our faith. Beloved, claim these promises. Take them before God and believe them. Be, be, be obedient in your life. Pray with a fervent spirit that you really mean what you're asking for. You really want it. Don't just half, halfway go to the Lord and pray about something, then forget about it. He sees our heart. He knows whether we're sincere. What God has commanded is faith and love. Faith in His Son and love for believers. Now He relates one of those commandments to us, namely, that one to love one another. There's many commands of God, but one of the main commands is to love one another. Love one another. Anyone who loves has been born of the Spirit of God and knows God. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God or out of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. See how being born again and loving and knowing God it all fits together. If you know God, you love one another. Love is the final objective test of our Christian profession. For true love, in the sense of self-sacrifice, is not natural to the human being and their fallen state. The, natural, the world I hear doesn't love like Christians love. First John 4.12 says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us or matured in us. And then verse 24, the last verse of this chapter. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He has given us. And again, love is an evidence of the new birth and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
and shows itself with action. First John 4.13, Hereby know ye that we are dwelling Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send you another comforter that He may abide with you for how long? Forever. He's always with us. God said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Romans 8, 16, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How you know that? Because He produces the love in us that we can love one another. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And by that love, we love one another. So that's the Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God by the fruit of the Spirit which He produces in us and is seen as we, as we love each other and, and by deeds and in truth we see the fruit of the Spirit which gives us confidence and assures us that we're filled with the Spirit of God and with God. Because Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. Now, don't we all need that at times, self-control? I need all the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit... Let us walk in the Spirit. Beloved, we know that we love God when we keep His commandments. Are we following Him? Are we following Him? May we pray. Our gracious and loving Father, I pray that You'll bless these words to our hearts. We thank You for the love of God which has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We thank You, Lord, that You loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Father, I thank You that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their divine essence loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you for your demonstration of your love in this world by sending your Son to die as our substitute and to bore our sins in His body on the tree. Thank you for the Holy Spirit manifesting these truths into the inner man and teaching us and guiding us and leading us and helping us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we'll fear no evil, that thou art with us. The Lord bless us now. And bless the end of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Does someone have a song in closing?